Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always by the main man, Director of Basketball Content for BearcatJournal.com, Justin Berg. And Justin, before we get going, why don't you tell us a little bit about our sponsor? Snips Media. You can go to SNI.PS to learn more, but um, they will help you make some money with your social media. They will help you track everything you need to know about the people who are following you and reacting and clicking on your stuff. And I think that'll be very valuable for you, even if you are not a business. So they have been gracious enough to sponsor us and we appreciate that. So again, just go to SNI.PS and I've been using it a little bit and I I really like it. I think it's, it's got a lot of potential. So uh, I would uh, recommend checking that out. Don't don't go getting rich on me monetizing your social media, Justin. <laughs> Let's get into it. Uh, last night, Cincinnati with a dominating performance over the Temple Owls, a, a Temple team that they look like it could be uh, the first 10 minutes or so look like it might be another slugfest between Cincinnati and Temple. The final 30 minutes, Temple looked like Justin. They did not even want to be in that gym. No, I kept looking over at their bench and yeah. They wish that they did not make that trip. And I, we've seen that look before. We saw it from the SMU bench Memphis. a few weeks back. Memphis, for sure. Yeah. So it just when the Bearcats are able to turn you over and get some and get the ball in the basket a little bit and just keep that pressure on you, it just seems to snowball. And it definitely happened last night. You're right. It, it just seemed early on like, here we go again. And then a couple buckets go. And next thing you know, a couple threes. I think it was. Evans and then Washington yeah. at the end of the half. And you're like, what? 35-19? It was just a close game. So it's it's hard to figure out this Temple team. It's just It doesn't make any sense. I know Temple fans, I'm sure, are just boggled. They don't know what to do. They, they, they go down and beat SMU, who obviously never loses in Moody. And they come here and lose by over 30 points. So go figure. And over 30 points in a game that that you see for pretty much the final 10 minutes was, and and especially the last six minutes, there wasn't a starter in the game. But you see called off the dogs with 10 minutes left and and won by 30. And that started with an emphatic stretch and ending with a big-time dunk from your main man, Gary Clark. And uh, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 points, only the fifth Bearcat to do it in his career. Uh, one is is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Another has his jersey retired. Uh, and a third was a, a big part of two national championship teams. It's just amazing to think what Gary Clark has accomplished. And this all kind of sneaks up on you because he's never been a huge, huge number stats like blow you out of the water guy. But I think what this makes me appreciate is just the insane consistency that Gary Clark has shown over his four years on campus. Yeah, he started he started almost every game his whole time at UC. Was it just the games on senior day that he didn't? Just a couple of those. Senior day for Coriante DeBerry and senior day for Zach Tobler are the only two yeah. games he has not started in his career. Right, and you think about some of those games where maybe he didn't score much and you look up and he got you 12 boards. He just, I don't even know what, what do you really say that what else needs to be said about this? He just, he's one of the greatest Bearcats of all time. 
I, I feel like his number should be retired regardless of what happens in the NCAA tournament this year because he epitomizes what it means to be a Bearcat, brings his lunch pail every game he always has, and just you, it, there's a lot to be said for knowing what you're going to get from certain players, and I think that, that across college basketball, a lot of coaches would love to have that. And like Mick said after the game last night, the coaches in this league are all very jealous of him that Gary Clark wears the red and black. So I think it's pretty well known how I feel about him. But, yeah, it was nice to see. And after the game, how he just said, yeah, I'd like to celebrate, but I'm really just going to probably go get some rest and get the treatment, get ready for Saturday. He he could. It's not that he doesn't care about the, the accomplishment, but, you know, he's got bigger things on his mind. I think the really cool thing for me has been seeing him come out of his shell a little bit as a senior. Um, right. Being a little bit more, not just vocal on the court, but – uh, having a little bit more fun in the post game stuff and, and just, you know, doing the national interviews and, and doing everything that he's doing, doing the post game interviews. It's been really cool to see him kind of grow up and, and become kind of a spotlighted guy when ultimately he's just like, he's like the greatest glue guy that ever lived. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it, it's funny because we, I know we've talked about this, like that, that, that term has like a negative like connotation to it that some people take and i think gary takes pride in it like i'm the glue that holds this team together we've got you know our our offensive firepower uh in different places at times this team is going to need me to be a 17 20 point a game guy and i have no problem doing that but i'm also the guy that's going to be you know guarding their their best player uh as often as possible or, or guarding their guy that is going to get them points in the paint or jumping passing lanes or, or rebounding or leading the team in deflections per minute, which from a four is insane. Um, but people take that, that term and act like it's kind of a bad thing when I think he's a star glue guy. And that's, that's like it's kind of like a unicorn. You just don't see it very often. That's right. But the great thing is that, like you mentioned, nationally – he is getting a lot of recognition, and rightfully so. We've known how good he is for years now, and now everybody else is starting to. And it seems like if conference play ended today that he would have to be the, the conference player of the year, which, like you said, for a guy who doesn't put up huge numbers, that says a lot about his all-around game and the respect that, that he gets, and, and he deserves it. And what's been really cool to me, and I'll add Jacob into this, um, your two best players are your two hardest playing players. And I think that sets the type of tone that you want set. I think it it does everything for this roster in terms of letting the freshmen know what needs to be done and, and, and teaching long term this is how you have to play to win and be successful and, and wear the red and black. And and those two guys set the tone. I know we, we had a talk with the coaches before practice last week or the, earlier this week um, about the, the, the highly secretive deflection sheet. And, and Gary's the leader in deflections per minute. Jacob is the overall leader in deflections because he can play 40 minutes a night and never break a sweat. Um, but to have those two guys be the – not just, you know, one's the leading scorer, one's the leading rebounder, you know, the second leading scorer, whatever the case may be, 
but to have those two guys play as hard as they play night in and night out just sets a great tone that makes you feel good about this team in March. Yeah, this is like the 2014 team, but with plenty more on the offensive side. And yeah, I mean, because that was what the theme was that season was the leadership of Titus Rubles and Justin Jackson and Sean Kilpatrick and how Mick said that when your best players are your hardest workers, that it's going to permeate throughout the team. And here you go. Here it is again. And meanwhile, this team, you've got Gary Clark and Jacob Evans, who not only are your hardest playing defenders or your, I'm sorry, your hardest working defenders, but your two best offensive players as well. And those are your two closers that you're going to have in the last four minutes of a close game, which we haven't seen many of those lately, except for the Temple game on the road, which Jacob Evans did close out. But it's just it, it's just some stuff that uh, you haven't quite seen with, with any of the Bearcat teams in the recent years. So, yeah, exactly. Like what you just said at the end of your point there, it, it makes you feel good. But still, a long way to go. And, yeah. and like we were talking about, I was talking with Jeff Walner before the game last night about the schedule. And it's tough. It's just you got to play, you know, who they're, who's in front of you, but they're um, a lot of the stuff that they're doing to some of these teams and they are demolishing them, that, that, that these teams are not really that high quality. And, and it's kind of like what you talked about a couple podcasts ago about how certain, some of these teams, you take away one of their guys and it, it, it kind of demoralizes them. They, they're going to struggle to score, but um, down the stretch, you're coming up here with, um, with Houston and, and Wichita, there's, there's more than one guy. And so we'll, we'll see, but either way, it just, some of these things, they, they bode well, but, again, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. Yeah, I'll just, uh, to that point, I'll say, we've seen a lot of teams, a lot of Bearcat teams, still go into these games and end up in, you know, with bare knuckles and bloody fingers and uh, a beat-up nose, and sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. We're not even getting to that point That's so true. far. I mean, it, right. everything is... is talked about in a vacuum because there's plenty of season to go you've got the entire month of february which has a lot of potholes for this bearcat team because as we've talked about temple's out of the way but 10 of the next 11 games are against top 100 rpi teams so they're gonna have to bring it every night and continue to do this but the level at which they've done it even on nights where they you know i i don't think against temple and we talked about this throughout the game that was not their A game, and they won by 35. Like, that was probably, uh, by the end, I'd say a solid B. But for a lot of that game, I thought it was like a B-minus game because they, right. they Temple did get some open looks, and I think there is something to you're anticipating Cincinnati just hounding you to the point that eventually it wears on you and, and you're off and your shot is not falling. But they had some looks that, that that probably should have gone down for them that didn't. Um, Cincinnati had open looks that, that they didn't knock down. They had some opportunities that they let go. Um, a couple misses around the rim, some open looks from, from three. Three um, blown alley-oops. Yeah, three blown alley-oops. And some opportunities to pull away even earlier than they did uh, where that didn't happen. So I thought for the like a lot of times it was like a B-minus game up to a B. Uh, but the effort was great, and they just beat Temple into submission. And, and like we talked about, like looking at that bench, man, those guys just wanted to get the hell. They wanted to get back in the taxi cabs they arrived in and get the <laughs> hell out of town. Yeah. Did, did, now, I'll clarify that story. I don't know if you saw that saga unfold on my Twitter or not. I didn't. But I pulled up to the arena, okay? 
And you know the guy that takes our little like thing and takes the ticket and tells us where to park or whatever. So I get yeah. to that point and I'm trying to go to our parking lot and it's blocked by like four taxi cabs. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And all of a sudden, the Temple team gets out of the taxi cabs. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I have never seen this before in my life. What the hell is going on? Why are these dudes getting out of taxi cabs? Did Temple just not rent a bus? Like, everybody's going to come via taxi? Well, wow. what, uh, later what I found out was <clears throat> that that was um, a group of – it was most of the – like, most of the guys that play – if not all the guys that play significant minutes, they had decided to come over early and get shots up. Okay. And they didn't think they could get the bus to drop them off and then get the bus back downtown to pick everybody else up in time. So they made them take taxis. So I commend okay. I commend their um, their dedication to getting there early via taxi and getting some extra shots up, but they probably could have stayed at the hotel a little longer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it influenced how well they shot the ball. But but yeah, you're right. Applaud their effort. Um, I don't think we need to talk a whole lot about the Temple game. Uh, and, you know, I think we've touched on most of the stuff that we need to uh, to touch on from that game. It was defensively they were great. 45 deflections, uh, plus 10 in rebounding. They choked the life out of them. Temple did not look good at all. Um, so I, I had a request, or I saw somebody talking about this, that, that none of the, the podcasts uh, lately out in the, uh, the Bearcat world were talking much about the bench, which I kind of agree with because, for the most part, when, when you're in the season, we're going to be talking about Gary and Kyle and Jacob and what's going on at point guard between Justin and Kane, um, Jaron Cumberland. You're, those are the guys that are on the floor the most. Those are the guys that are, that are going to get the most attention. But at this point, I think it's 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 a good idea to maybe look at that bench a little bit and kind of see where things are um, as we head down the stretch because they're going to have some important roles. There's going to be some games that those guys are needed. Now, obviously, this is a team, the way it's constructed, its top six guys are going to be its most important guys from here until whatever happens to end this season. But you do need two or three other guys to step up and be able to give you some quality and, and not hurt you when they're out on the floor. So um, let's get into that a little bit. I don't think we really need to, to hit on Kane uh, no. as part of the bench. I think, you know, a, a little concerning last night that he only had three points. But again, Justin, we uh, you and I have been, in, like we said last week, I'm not a huge plus minus guy. It's not something I regularly look at, but it's something I've been kind of keeping an eye on at the point guard position. So we'll do a little bit on the point guard position here and then get into the bench. Um, plus minus for last night, Justin in 26 minutes was plus nine. Pretty good. Anytime you're, you're plus, you know, especially almost double digits. That's a, a, a solid number. Kane in 12 minutes plus 20. Wow. So again, we're getting a, a minute disparity, but the numbers themselves say, Plus 20 in 12 minutes is when UC was, was kicking Temple's ass, it was with Kane on the floor. They were pulling away. Yeah. And so, I think, yeah, well, I mean, obviously you got to look at the slow starts because Justin is the starter. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many games in a row where by the second TV timeout, they're lucky to have double digits. So yeah, that's going to hurt your plus minus right there. And 
But yeah, it, I don't know. I, I know there's a lot of people calling for Kane to be the starter. And I don't know if it's more importantly how you, it's more important how the team starts the game or how they end the game. And it's really more important who's on the floor at the end if it's a close game in my mind. But I don't know. I mean, you're. I don't know if there's any need for a change, just no, because I, of the plus minus. But yeah, yeah. But so, what what do you make of it? I guess that's the question. I, I think what I make of it is I think Justin is like the um, like the body blow. He wears down your point guard. He's constantly hounding. I think his defense has been really solid, um, especially when he's applying pressure. You know, guys are having a hard time getting it up the floor. He, he's kind of like a gnat in there, just kind of swatting at you. And, and it's body blow, body blow, body blow. And then you bring Kane in, and it's the right hook. Okay. All of a sudden, the tempo is up. You're already getting a little fatigued. The defense is already wearing on you. Things are already kind of, you know, getting in your head. And then they bring that, that change of speed, and all of a sudden, you're not – I don't know. I don't want to say not ready for it, but you're not – you don't have your legs for it. You don't have your your boost for it. Like your bar's able... not your bar's not all the way filled up. Yeah, you're down. Mike to, Tyson. Yeah. Mike Tyson. Right, yeah. Or your your phone charger. Like you're you know you're down to sixty two percent, and he comes in at a hundred. And if even if it's not him scoring, that jolt is pretty significant that we've seen so far. So uh, is does does that look the same? If it happens when everybody's at a hundred, like, does it have that yeah. effect? That's, that's a great analogy. I didn't think of it like that, but I did think that when people had come to me and said that they didn't think Justin should play as many minutes. And I'm saying, I don't think you're realizing how important his ball pressure is, how, what kind of an impact that has over the course of the game. And especially like you said, then you bring in a guy who's fresh and he's bringing the same amount of ball pressure, if not more. And Meanwhile, the opponent has the same guy bringing the ball up the floor, so he's gassed. So yeah, I mean that it. So so it might not be it, the plus, the real the plus minus that matters is the team at the end of the game, as we know. But yeah, so so there there's more to it than just what those numbers say. Well, and I get that, like you know, people are going to look at the points, and Justin hasn't scored in three games, whatever it is, and they're going to get frustrated with that, and they're going to say Kane's a scorer. But I, I just think there's more to it. I, I think it's more nuanced than, you know, what each guy is putting up point-wise. Now, what we've seen from Mick is in the games that have been tight, in the games that have, have, have mattered more, in almost all of them, Kane has played more minutes. Yeah. So I think Mick clearly sees that. But I think in these other games, you're using Justin to just wear him down and continue that body blow. Punch to the ribs, punch to the kidney, punch to the ribs, and... And that makes guys a little less effective because uh, what we're seeing, like we talk about the slow starts a lot, but part of this team is wearing you down. I mean, that's part of the style they're playing, right? So we're seeing a little bit of slow starts out of the gate, but then we're also seeing them zoom past teams that back into the first half and then maybe a tight segment or two at the beginning of the second half. And then they zoom past you again in the second half. So it's working. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not a big, like, if it ain't broke, I'm a, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, right now it's not broken. So I I think what they're doing is working. I think it's giving them, um, different looks and it's giving teams fits and it's making, you know, this team very difficult to play. 
and they're, you know, plus 20 uh, on average in the American Athletic Conference uh, scoring margin. So it's working. So keep yeah. with it. Yeah, I like and it. I think, yeah, I do too. And I think I just look at them as one player. I just feel like that you just combine them together and and that's what you get at the end of the 40 minutes. So I don't think that – and you, know, you could say Justin hasn't scored in three games. Well, I mean, Kane only scored three, I believe, against Central Florida and then three last night. So it's not like he's ripping the nets um, to, a, to an extreme level or anything. So neither one of them is really putting any points on the board and it hasn't mattered. Now, again, I think UC has one of the lowest strength of schedule as far as in-conference play so far of any team in the conference. So – well, yeah, the heat's coming. We, yeah, we know the back. It's backloaded, but they haven't so yeah, played I, Houston. Yeah. They haven't played SMU. It's obviously backloaded. Like that—that yeah. that we knew going in. Yeah. So which, I mean, yeah. For me, that's good scheduling by the American. Right. You want your big games in February. You want your teams playing the toughest opponents down the stretch to have them ready for the NCAA tournament. If you had already played three of those six games, maybe you're not as sharp as you need to be by the time the tournament hits. But instead, they've got five big games coming up in the final five weeks of the season. So pretty much once a week, you're going to get somebody throwing haymakers at you. And then you've got another game against a top 100 opponent on the back end of that. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I yeah. like where they're at. I like okay. where they're at. So all right, so Kane's not really considered bench because we're going to combine uh, him and uh, Justin together. So you want to go to the wings first? Yeah, let's do the, the two freshman wings first. I think we have to start with Trevor Moore. Of course. Um, he's the he's the first guy mixed summoning at this point. I'll, I'll tell you what. His shot has not been as consistent as, as he would like. Um, I get on him all the time. Like I, The kid has missed more free throws this year than he's ever missed in his life. Uh, and I get, him, get on him all the time for it, joking with him about being able to knock those down. Um, there's just a, an adjustment to the speed of the game that I think he is still working through, uh, in terms of getting his shot off and, and getting his timing together at this level. But the reason he's playing is because one, he's ultra competitive and two, the kid can defend. I mean, there were a couple times last night we were watching closely where he's moving his feet right with, you know, Quentin Rose or, or Shiz Alston as they're trying to go past him, and he cuts them off, gets to the spot before they can even get there. He cuts them off, and one of them resulted in uh, Alston having to take a terrible, fading uh, 17-footer, uh, a, a step-back 17-footer that he bricked by a mile. Uh, and then two others resulted in Trevor takes the guy right to Jacob Evans, and Jacob Evans just snatches the ball. And, and that's because he did a great job sliding his feet and did a great job staying in front and, and not getting, not letting the, the offensive player get the corner on him, not letting him get shoulder to shoulder, and, and taking him right into the help side defense, and bam, that turns into a positive play for Cincinnati. There's still some things he needs to work on, but that side of the game is going to get you on the floor for Mick Cronin, and that's why we're seeing him quite a bit. Yeah, and even if he's not knocking down as many shots as you, you would think as far as his percentage – the defense is still paying a lot of attention to him, which opens up the floor for other stuff. So just him being on the floor is going to be a bonus for the team. But, yeah, I, you, you'd said, and I think Mick even talked about it, was it two summers ago when we saw him um, down in Georgia, that he, you know, Mick watches a player's feet 
and he thought that that Trevor was going to be a guy that could move his feet, even though he's not a, a you know crazy bouncy athlete. And so you look at you look at him versus Keith Williams, and and Trevor has just picked up the defense much faster. And and you add in that element of him spreading the floor, then you got to pick him because if first of all, if you're not going to be sound defensively and trustworthy defensively. I mean, you're, you're not going to get into an important game, number one. And then with with Keith, his shot selection at times is is questionable. He'll take some step-back jumpers and take some threes and stuff, and it's not quite his game. So especially, I mean, with the percentages. But so, yeah, I mean, out of the two, Trevor has definitely separated himself. And, and you'll see – you see him in the first half um, of, of most of these games getting in and, and getting a chance to play, you know, three to seven minutes in – and give it in that. That's what you need because you can't have Cumberland playing huge minutes. You can have Jacob play as many as you want. It seems like, but Trevor is definitely play 60 minutes. I know, but Trevor, yeah. I mean, he, he really is, is doing what the, what the coaching staff was hoping that at least one of the two would do. Now, as far as Keith goes, it's tough for him because he's just not getting regular PT and he hasn't been able to get into a rhythm. But, but again, if he's not going to be reliable defensively and, and sound offensively, then um, he's just going to get phased out in, in some of the when the when the bench you know the rotation tightens in some of these t- closer games. I think the thing with Keith, and and this is something that doesn't get talked about enough because as I've many times said over the past eleven years, people think teaching defense is easy and anybody can do it. Playing defense in mixed system is very complicated, especially wing help side defense in terms of cutting off drives and where to be and, and how to position yourself. Um, there's a reason that they're always right there when a guy tries to drive. There's a reason that Jacob knows exactly when to step in and take that ball away um, like he does, you know, at least twice a game it feels like. Um, and, and Keith, I think, has just struggled with that side of it a little bit because – He's a he's kind of the classic example of of a kid that has gotten by on his athleticism, you know, for most of his life, because he is an incredible athlete. But now the mental side of it, you know, like when comparing him to Trevor, Trevor has always had to deal with his limitations. But he's never been that incredible athlete. So to compete, he's had to kind of have the little bit more cerebral side to it, where Keith hasn't had to really experience that up until now. And I think it's taken some time. I think, you know, the you, you talk about some of the shot selection. For Keith, if you watched him in high school, that was stuff that worked for him in high school. Well, that stuff doesn't work here. So you got to learn to phase that stuff out of your game or be a little bit more selective. And when you do it, as that comes, as he gets more comfortable, I think that'll help. But more importantly, the mental side of playing defense in mixed system hasn't clicked for him yet. And I think that's kind of what's holding him back. Yeah, I mean it's going. It's going to continue to, which, so all he can do is just keep trying until he gets it. And there's, yeah, it's not. It's, it's not many games coming up where you could say we'll give him 20 minutes and let him figure it out. Because well, there, there, yeah, there's going to be some a lot of tough road games coming, and then most of your home games are against pretty high level teams in the league. And it's not like he's been abused. It's not like he's been bad. It's more about the fact that one, Trevor has been more ready. So Trevor is getting those backup minutes. And on top of that, Jake and Jaron are going to be on the floor. 
Yeah, there's just so not there's, a lot of time. Yeah. There's not many backup minutes to be had. If this is a if this is a backcourt with Kevin Johnson and Shaq Thomas as your two and three, there's more minutes to be had because you don't have to have them on the floor for 30 minutes, 35 minutes. You want them on the floor for 25 minutes. So he get, it's a numbers game that he's been kind of caught up in a little bit. I, I we've seen improvement in his free throw shooting, which has been good because he really struggled there at the beginning of the season. Uh, but as of late, he has come on in that department. He's still an elite athlete. He's still – if he had got that dunk last night, you'd have lost your mind. Yeah, I was – I almost stood up. I was just – I was getting ready to. <laughs> but I think he, he – if the game – some some of the slower-paced games is going to be tougher for him. He's going to stay – he's going to he's gonna stick out in a game like that, right? And yeah. we've seen certain players like that over the years for UC. And so – but – you know, I, I think he's a competitive kid too. He'll he'll figure it out. But at this point, there's just not a lot not a lot of extra time for him, like you said. So he'll he'll just have to develop at his pace, and and you never know. There could be a game where he comes in and makes an impact because of that athleticism and that instinct. I mean, we we saw him get a couple buckets against UCLA in the first half, which definitely helped. So there, the potential is there. But yeah, right now Trevor has the edge. Uh, let's, let's get to the interesting part. Let's get to the bigs. Ooh. Okay. Um, Trey Scott, I think has done ex- pretty much exactly what they've asked of him. Um, I think he's starting to look for his scoring opportunities a little bit more, which is what you want from him. Uh, but he's been a guy that moves the ball. He's been rebounding at a much better rate than he was, uh, in his first year. He has been a solid serviceable guy to get Gary rest. And I think that's exactly what you needed from him, and they're getting it. Yeah. Nothing else to say about that. He, he's he been the guy that they needed. And and he, he as he gets a little more confident offensively and he doesn't hesitate as much, that'll be his next phase. But, yeah, for now, if he rebounds at a high rate and guards and passes, then that's all you need. And his defense has been very good. He, he's a guy that, from from where we sit on the baseline – you can see he's constantly communicating. He's engaged. Uh, he understands what the concepts are and what, you know, if he's switched out on a guard, what his footwork needs to be like. And it, he's a guy that, from my perspective, seems to have a really good grasp of the scouting report on how they want to defend guys. Um, you don't see, you know, a lot of times uh, in, in the past, you would get to those bench big men and you would see opponents run a pick and roll and isolate them and, and abuse them or take advantage of them with the guard or, you know, whatever the case may be. I don't think you're seeing that. I think you're seeing Trey stay completely fundamentally solid uh, and, and really give quality minutes. Now, if we're talking about in terms of, you know, the future, yeah, he needs to, to get some more offense, continue to develop his offense and be a guy that they can put the ball in the basket a little bit more uh, when Gary's gone. And, you know, maybe get himself up into that eight, nine, ten points a game range. Uh, but for right now, I, I just think he's perfectly filling the role that they're asking of him uh, and doing exactly what the coaching staff needs from him in terms of being Gary's backup. I agree. And then over to Nasir. No he nonsense, better, Nas. Nas has been playing well. He's going to have to be careful. Because Ellie's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's his rebound rate is is beyond off the charts. Lel, Lel is okay. We'll go Nazir first. He's, right. He is 
most certainly improved his footwork, his ability, and his touch around the basket. I still think there are times that he gets fed up a little too much, um, where his footwork gets a little bit sloppy and he gets, you know, he's rushing to get the ball up on the backboard. But in a lot of ways, he has improved pretty significantly on the offensive end. Defensively, he's not. He hasn't been like the the enforcer that I thought he had the potential to be so far. I agree. Yeah, he's not he's not blocking a lot of shots. He's um, he just doesn't appear to be that explosive off his feet. And he missed that alley oop last night on the offensive end, but but yeah, you're right. Because but I think when we when when he did commit a couple of years ago, you said that he seemed like he would be more of a wall up defender yeah. than a shot blocker. Yes. So, yeah, as long as his footwork's okay. But, yeah, he, you're right. He hasn't been making a huge impact from that standpoint. But he's – hey, you know, what do we need what, – what, what does the team need from him? About 10 to 12 minutes, something like that, maybe 15 if somebody's in foul trouble? Yeah, about I mean, that. Are, I mean, you feel okay with him being that guy? Um, in some ways, yes. In some ways, I'm very curious to see what Ellie could do in extended minutes. I, I'm yeah. not going to lie. Like watching Ellie L play it, it. It's, it's like the early Justin Jackson days when you just saw it like flash for a couple minutes and you're like, holy crap, except this kid's taller and longer. And I mean, it, it was talking to, uh, Mike Mathis last night. Uh, Mike, if you don't know, is is with the program. He was a longtime, tenured, one of the the best NBA officials uh, in the league. And he now helps out with the basketball program. After the game, he said, that's my new favorite kid. (laughs) Because he just gets in there and he he bodies people. Like, he is is looking for contact. And, you know, it's kind of contagious. Like, it is fun watching him get out there and just crash into people and battle for rebounds. He had a nice layup. Um, had a dunk at the end of the game. You know, he's he's not going to wow you with his offensive skill set, but I think he's improving there. And the kid is a sponge, and he just does everything that you ask him to do. And he's, you know, like one of my my favorite things about him. You know, like an hour, like an hour and a half before the game, guys come out and start shooting. There's like a like an open shoot around for about 30 minutes. And then an hour before the game, they get into their, their pregame drills. So most guys come out and they're jacking up threes. You know, Brooks works on his post moves. Some Um, you'll see guys work on whatever the staff feels that maybe they need for that game is going to be important An action. They're going to run or something along those lines. Eliel just has a, a manager stand on one side of the paint and throw the ball off the glass. And he just goes and gets it. (laughs) <laughs> and he does this for like 15 minutes. It's not like a brief thing. Like for 15 minutes, he's just going and snatching the ball out of the air, wherever it may be. And I just love it about him. He's fun to watch. Yeah. And so if you're looking, if you're deciding between LEL and Nasir, then you got to, you got to weigh that in. I mean, that, that, that matters. Now, Nasir's been grabbing some rebounds too. He had, a, yeah. I think he had seven a few games ago. I can't remember which game that was, but he. But when you bring in a guy like Soseme, just that that energy jolt. It's it's almost like with Kane bringing in that tempo. 
And so I don't know if Nasir quite gives you that uh, that energy jolt. Nasir is more one of those like just go in there and hold down the fort, just try not to let anybody get any anything easy at the bucket, and uh, you know set some good screens. And you know if you if you get some deep position, just try to knock in the hook type of type of guy. He's he's just a a solid dude, just like Trey. Trayvon. Trayvon brings some energy too, but I mean, not to any, no one brings anything close to what LEL brings. It's just a huge element. So there, I'm interested to see what he would do in a huge game because, because it wouldn't seem like it would affect him. I don't think that he's in his brain. It's just not developed enough to be in this. He doesn't understand the magnitude of stuff. He just goes out there and does what he does. That's what you got to love about him. Yeah, I mean, I the the guy's fantastic to watch. It's a blast, absolute blast. So, I, it, you know, you, you're gonna have Nazir's gonna have to be careful because Lel's coming for some of those minutes. And yeah. what did Mick? Yeah, yeah. I, he what, what was write, that note? Yeah, what yeah. did he say? <laughs> play him, you idiot, or play yeah, him, dummy, dummy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and he got 11 minutes last night, and and he was effective again. I I think a big part of that too is like you've got two completely different guys. Like if a team has a, a really reliable back to the basket post score, Nas is a really good match for that. Where if you've got a guy that's out setting screens and is being more active on the perimeter, LEL is incredible. I mean, he's been switched on guards multiple times and doesn't look outmatched by any stretch of the imagination because he moves so well. Yeah. And one of the, plays of the night was when Kane almost lost that ball in the backcourt and LEL dove and ripped it away from the temple guy. Yeah. And then kicked it ahead to Trevor Moore who drove into the paint, drew the D kicked it to Gary in the corner who swished a three. But I mean that, you know, that could have been a turnover and instead it ends up in three points for the red and black. So, so you add that to the four rebounds or five, I'm sorry, five rebounds and two buckets he scored. So, you know, he just, he, a lot of positives when he's on the floor. Now he did get beat off the dribble from the top one time, and I think it ended up in an and one, but, I, you know, he'll... he'll, he'll he, was, yeah. he was he was guarding a, uh, who, I can't remember who it was. Yeah, it was someone that could that could dribble. It might have yeah. been one of the Mormon or somebody like that. I can't remember it yet. But he, but he was he was guarding yeah. them like 55 feet. <laughs> I know, it's a li- little too far out. Just a tad too far. <laughs> He's okay at 20 to 25 feet. Yeah. You get him you get him 45 feet from the rim. A guy is eventually going to be able to turn the corner on him. Yeah. Um what, what about yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, what about Mamadou with um he's he hasn't played in a few games and he and there there's been a little injury talk, but I don't know exactly what it is and Mick said it seems like it's not serious. Uh, and obviously it's a numbers game too. You can't I mean there's just only so many minutes that guys can play. I don't know for certain. Uh, I'm investigating more into that. I'm curious if they might be seeing if there's any way he can get a medical and get that freshman year back. Um, I I can't remember. I'd have to look. I don't remember. But he hasn't played in a conference game, has he? I'm not sure. I feel like he. I feel like he's been in at least one, but I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to. I have to look that up. In fact, um, I can in one second here. Keep talking. I wouldn't be shocked if there's maybe some way that they're trying to uh, see if they can can maybe get him a medical because four minutes against Memphis. That's all he's done. And that would be game fourteen. That was, 
Yeah, that was game one of the conference season. Yeah. I don't I don't think they could do it. Mm. I think he's past the limit. Yeah, it's a shame because I know they probably told him that it would be a good idea to redshirt, and I know the player has to agree. It's a shame because, yeah. yeah, it's a whole year. But, hey, I mean, he's going to – according to him, he'll be in the NBA soon anyway, so it won't really matter. Yeah. Um, from everything I've heard, he's progressing very well, and they're happy with how he is in practice. The biggest thing for him is just continuing to get him to learn the game, to understand situational basketball. Um, because it, the skill set is there, the talent is there, the size and athleticism is there, but he just doesn't have that that natural feel for the game yet, which is hard to get to learn. But as he improves at it, he's you're going to see a significant jump in his ability to be on the floor. Dude, if you if he does get that, and as Lel starts to learn, I mean, just imagine those two dudes on the floor. Yeah. At the same time, I mean that, that you got. A freak that can shoot threes. You got a freak rebounder. I mean, that is just a lot. That would be a lot for teams well, to handle. And that's a lot, a little ways down the road, but it's just, it's very tantalizing to think about it. One thing that, that Mamadou does incredibly well is block shots as well. That too. And so does I mean, Elio. Yeah. And, and Mamadou is a weak side shot blocker at 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan uh, on a guy that Elio's guarding. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not too worried about the Bearcats' two-point field goal defense going forward. Yeah, ever pretty much. Ever. Yeah. Um, now that that about covers the bench. I, okay. I, know, I just we had a request for it. Yeah. I just wanted to, to get it out there and, and get some talk on those guys because you know maybe they have been it has been a little bit lacking just as we cover the team and. Well, um, I mean, I think I think it's. It, like I like I said in the interview with with Chuck, I mean it is it, it's one of those devil's advocate. You know the, the bench production. There's been games where you don't get really any points other than maybe if Kane gets you a few. And so let's say there's a game down the road where the, the starting five there's a couple guys in foul trouble and so, you know all of a sudden you need some help from your bench and so you just you're not sure exactly who's going to emerge as somebody who's reliable that you could say all right he he could probably come in and get me six to ten points. But but Trevor Moore's trending that direction, and and Trayvon Scott with his dirty work, and you know I think you I think you could you could kind of combine them all together and get a you know scrape some points on the board. You're not going to have that like SK freshman year guy who's going to come off and get you you know ten to fifteen almost every game. But I don't know that you'd really need it. But it's you know it's it's still a concern I think. Yeah, it's something that we've been monitoring all year and right. The way this team has been constructed, you're pretty much always going to have three guys on the floor that can score. Um, in the way that mix, mix, mixes and matches that, um, you know, it, it minimizes the need a little bit. But you still, you feel a lot better if the bench scores 20 than you do if they score four. Yeah, but you also just make sure that if they just fit in with what what's going on on defense with this team, yeah. that's that should be enough. I mean, they're number two. They're they're eighty four point four today on uh, on Ken Palm, which is astronomically low. Again, they've never been below ninety in the Mick era. So, I believe uh, actually last year that would be number one. Yeah, Virginia has Virginia right now has the lowest in the Ken Palm era. Right, their so, defense is it just doesn't make any. Yeah, it's nothing. But so so, what do you think um, about this Memphis game on Saturday? They've been playing a little better. I'm not. I don't feel great about it. I still think it's a game Cincinnati should and will win. But they've been playing much better at home. 
um, they're going to have something to prove after Cincinnati just absolutely punked them. I mean, Cincinnati made them look like Stony Brook. Yeah, and then back on on New Year's Eve. So that, Jeremiah Martin's dealing with a hip injury. That's that could be a big deal for them because his explosion is really what makes him elite. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. When did he hurt that? Uh, last game. He, oh. he he got taken out in the second half of their or during their last game. Oh, they Tulsa. Expect, yeah, they expect him to play, but it's a hip pointer, and those mm. can be those can be kind of a pain. Wow. So I expect him to play, but I it's gonna you know it's not gonna be at a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, I missed that one. Thanks for bringing that up. But I'm here for you, brother. I know, I know, and and I think uh, yeah that that element of of the the something to prove, like you you mentioned that Tubby really took it to him in the locker room after that game, challenging their manhood. Um, they only, they didn't even get to 50 points in that game, but I mean, really on the road for, for Cincinnati, I mean, it, it comes down like if the, if the home team wants to hang in the game, they, they have two objectives, take care of the ball and keep Cincinnati off the offensive glass. Cause as we've seen, Cincinnati does not shoot the ball very well on the road. Traditionally, especially if they're in a half court set for most of the game and they're not able to run up and down. So if Memphis wants to hang in, those are their two objectives. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I I could see it definitely being a game that is, um, oh, you know, hovering around ten between the ten to fifteen point range for for most of the game. It's kind of, you know maybe it's closed for the first ten twelve minutes. Cincinnati hits a spurt. I don't know that they'll just easily pull away like they did last time. I could see Memphis kind of keeping it one of those games that you're looking at going. I hope they don't get hot in the final five minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it doesn't seem like Cincinnati usually can uh, can get all those turnovers and, and really go on a big spurt on the road against decent teams. So it turns into just a back and forth and got to get stops and you know, try to find a way to get some open looks and get to the foul line a little on your side. So, I mean, Memphis, they got a lot of confidence in that building. I don't know, like you said, I don't know what the factor is with Martin's injury, but some of the other kids are playing a lot better. This Mike Parks Jr. dude is like, I mean, he's like going to be an all-conference player. He, the guy's like unstoppable, big six nine two seventy dude. Yeah, so that might um, be that might be a good spot for Nas actually. Yeah, Isaiah Brooks. Yeah, Mike exactly. Some uh, some good run on him. Yeah, because um, I I wouldn't be surprised if either Kyle or Gary would pick up a couple of fouls in the first half against that that kid. He's yeah. just a, he's a load down there. So yeah, I mean I think they'll. I, I would imagine it's going to be a, a, a hard fought game, and and you know since he's going to have to play the whole forty to, to win it, they're not. I, I don't see them going in there and just walking over him and ended up winning by you know, easily fifteen or twenty points. I, I I wouldn't predict that. I wouldn't either. Um, and then the Cougars come to town. Yeah. And I mean I you have to think Houston knows. If they want to make a run at the American Conference Championship, getting a loss on Cincinnati as soon as possible is is very much in their benefit. Yeah. So they're going to be coming for you. Oh, yeah. And they've already had some tough road games. They went to Wichita. I mean, they got barraged in that game. But, um, I mean, they, they played at Tulane. They lost that one. So they, they their losses have been on the road. But they've already at least had that experience of playing in a tough environment. So they're, you know, and they're not going to be scared. Rob Gray is, is he's, he's a senior now. He's each year he's gotten, his game has become more well-rounded. Now he's even more of a leader. 
And he's not just on his own now. I know they had Dotson last year, but this kid, Corey Davis Jr., is a difference maker for them. He's a, a like a little 6'1", uh, Juco guard that uh, he can light you up from three. He's a real emotional player. He, he just makes an impact. Um, they had a freshman last year, Armani Brooks, who uh, 6'3", guard. He's he's a sophomore now. He's he's like more comfortable. I think he's coming off the bench still, but he can give you some, some buckets. And a couple guys underneath that uh, – the Bearcats haven't really seen much of. So I'll have a little bit of film on that one just to get you a look at those guys. But yeah, I mean, they, they seem like they could be a tournament team. I mean, you beat Wichita, you destroy Arkansas, and then you beat Providence um, pretty much almost a road game, right? Because I was in that, uh, that yeah. same tournament we were in last year, the Uncasville or whatever it was. So, I mean, they've got a, they've got a legit resume. They've got a couple, a couple bad losses, the Drexel, I think, and I don't know if Tulane on the road is going to be a bad loss this year. I really don't think it is. No, so, I mean, they're right around top 100. Yeah, You're not so, going to get crushed for that. So I think, I mean, at this point, Houston would make the tournament if it was selected today. I mean, they may be a last four in type of deal, but I think they'd be in. I so, yeah. So, th- so they're, yeah, I mean, they, their defense, and that that's the thing. I was just looking at the film against Wichita State when they beat them at, at the Texas Southern gym. That's their home gym now, Houston's gym. But uh, they, they really – guarded in that game they dug in they they were they were blitzing uh high ball screens and really making it tough on the the wichita guards and they just they just locked in on that game and they really uh, you're not used to seeing them guard like that the last time i saw them play defense like that was when uh the bearcats went down there a couple of years ago like the second to last game of the season and just got destroyed yeah um without farad Cobb. but um so you know they just they have a few more weapons offensively and their defense is better. So yeah, they're, they're going to be much, much improved and much more formidable um, than we've seen in the last few years. So yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle. I definitely. I think they're going to hang around through the whole thing. I would, I would, I would imagine. I would think so as well. I, that'll be a fun one Wednesday night. Thank God. It's not a 9 PM tip off. Is it? I think it's seven. Yeah. I'm too, I'm too old for 9 PM tip off. bro. <laughs> too old. The problem is I can't fall asleep when I get home. Yeah, I'm a little wired, too, when I get back. Last night, I was just laying in bed at, like, 3 o'clock watching guys' grocery games. <laughs> just just wide awake, like, yeah, well, there's nothing else to do. I guess I'm just going to lay here and watch this. My wife kind of, like, rolled over and looked at me with, like, a side eye, like, will you go the hell to bed so I can sleep? <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up. Okay. I pre- you got anything else? I think no. we hit on what we wanted to hit on. I agree. Other than I got one last thing, and that would be that Gary Clark has dunked the ball three times in two of his last three games. I like to see that. Well, do you see see the picture on your story? uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cock back. Yeah, that was nice. I'm surprised that's not your header on Twitter now. Well, he had in the in the in the Central Florida game, he had all three of his dunks were two handers, and last night all of them were all one handers. So that's that's something that. uh, I don't know what what to make of that, other than I think he his explosiveness is back from that uh, ankle yeah. surgery. So just add that to his million other things he can do. All right, man. Sounds good. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. Should be a big week for the Bearcats. We will see you at BB&T Arena on Wednesday night. And, of course, Memphis, 6 o'clock on the road on Saturday. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.